You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We've been talking about police officer training and changing police officer training as a way to address the crisis of police brutality and racism on the force in our country. My next guest is sponsoring legislation in the state Senate that would create new state requirements for police training. The legislation includes requirements that officers be trained on implicit bias and violence de-escalation, as well as new mental health screening requirements. State Senator Jeff Irwin is one of the sponsors of that bill. He is a Democrat who represents Michigan's 18th district, and he joins us now to talk about it. Senator Irwin, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks. Good morning, Stephen. Yes, it's great to have you with us. Uh, first, talk a bit about what we're seeing right now in terms of rampant police brutality, racist policing, as well as the widespread anger about it and the consensus forming that something needs to change. Are we at a pivot point in the way that we talk about this and what we are willing to do about it? Well, I sure hope we're at a pivot point Uh you know, one of the things I think that has been different lately is that you've seen such a widespread outcry. You've seen protests against police brutality in places where we haven't seen protests against police brutality before. I mean, here in Washtenaw County, we had, you know, people standing on street corners in places like like Dexter. Uh, you know, we had uh, marches in places like Allen Park, you know. So police brutality has been a huge problem in America for a long time. There have been a tremendous number of people who've been hurt by it, who've been concerned about it, who've been speaking out against it, who've been trying to get attention, but it does feel as though there has been um, a different sort of moment around the murder of George Floyd and the reaction to it. Uh, the protests have been loud, they've been continuing, and there's a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done to address police brutality, and that work has to happen at these protests, it has to happen at kitchen tables, it has to happen in police stations, it certainly has to happen at city councils, and at county commissions, but there's also a piece of that work that has to happen in the state legislature, and that's why I've been working on a number of ideas with colleagues to try to address police brutality. This work didn't start uh, in the wake of, of um, the recent uh, violence, you know, uh, for me, it started back when I was in the state house, uh, back in the wake of Ferguson, when we started working on ideas like making sure that we have citizen oversight over our police, making sure that we have independent investigations when there is excessive force used or there's a civil rights allegation. Uh, we need to demilitarize our police and we need to provide better training. And so that's what my bill, Senate Bill 945, is meant to do. It is meant to address that last point, which is, as you mentioned, to require training in implicit bias, implicit bias violence de-escalation, and mental health screening. But also, for the first time, this bill would require continuing education for police officers, uh, like we have for teachers and doctors and so many other professions. Michigan is a real outlier in not requiring any continuing education. And so while many departments do that on their own, this would be the first time we'd be requiring it in law, uh, 24 hours minimum of additional training every year. Hmm. Um, so talk about the possibility of getting legislation like this discussed on the floor in, uh, in Lansing and maybe even voted on. This is not a legislature that seems, at least in the immediate past, terribly open to the idea of change on these issues. I'm really curious about the response that you have gotten so far from your colleagues. Well, the response I've gotten has been very different than the response I got in 2016 when I started working on this same training bill in the wake of Ferguson and Flandre Castile and some of those other incidents uh, where there was really no interest in taking it up. 
Uh, this year, what happened was when I introduced that legislation, uh, it was immediately taken up in the Senate Judiciary Committee. It was then passed unanimously out of the Senate Judiciary Committee and then passed unanimously on the same day out of the state Senate. So what I think you saw was a situation where, because I had been working on this legislation for a while, it was ready to go. It had been vetted with a lot of uh, you know folks in law enforcement. Uh, folks have been looking at it for a number of years. And, uh, you know, Quite frankly, when you look at all these different ideas, citizen oversight, independence of investigations, demilitarization, and training, training is the easiest one. And so it was ready to go. It was the easiest one for my conservative colleagues to, to get around. And in the Senate, it was passed very, very quickly. We've already had one hearing in the House uh, last week. I think it went well. We're going to have another one this week. And it seems like there is some concern around how do we pay for this training, particularly at a time when the state government and our local governments are are struggling financially and on the precipice of, of a bit of a cliff here because of, of COVID-19. Uh, but apart from the concerns about how do we pay for this, there's been a lot of support for this idea of improving training. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. If you want to join the conversation, I'm talking with State Senator Jeff Irwin, a Democrat who represents Michigan's 18th district, about legislation he is sponsoring that would overhaul police training requirements here in Michigan. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Dennis in Macomb. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm calling. I, I just, I just think it uh, blame goes all around. I think the citizens have blame, and I think the police have blame. The citizens should respect the law. If the police tell you to stop, you should stop. Where is the culpability in the citizen who, who escalates it to violence, and then the police officers blame for it? And then on the other hand, why, why should the police stand by and protect the bad cops that are breaking the these citizens' rights, and they allow this to fester. So we're never going to get anywhere until we have accountability everywhere, not just the police, the citizenry too. Mm. You can't push the blame off on the police. Mm. Dennis. I just think it's, uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go, go ahead and finish. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the call, and I absolutely uh, understand your perspective. I, I, I agree with a good bit of what you say. Uh, I, I, I do think... There's not an equality of responsibility here. In other words, the idea that citizens might break the law or disobey the police is not as critical an issue as what officers in whom we vest an incredible amount of community trust and give lethal authority to exercise uh, their, their, uh, to execute their jobs, uh, th- th- there's not a balance there of, of responsibility. The police are responsible for what they do. And any citizen who misbehaves or maybe is not misbehaving um, is not in the same position uh, as, as, these, as these officers. So, yeah, people should obey the law and people should uh, try, to, try to make the job easier, I guess, for police officers, but there just is not any excuse for police officers responding with violence the way they do. In these videos that we're seeing, it is the police who escalate these situations to the level of violence. They don't start out that way. Uh, It's not the citizens who are doing it. And and even if it is, uh, police officers are trained to deal with these things. They are put in these situations because they are supposed to have training 
that allows them to deal with these situations and de-escalate them rather than escalate them. And the use of lethal force that we are seeing in these cases is just way over the line. Uh, and there just is not a there's not a comparison in my mind, but I, but, I, but I hear where you're coming from, and I, again, appreciate the call and the comments. Senator Irwin, I wonder what you make of, of Dennis's assessment of all of this. Yeah, there's a lot to take in there, but a couple of ways in which I think the bill relates directly to the gentleman's comment. Uh, just to get into the weeds, the details, one of the things that the bill calls for is training in procedural justice. One of the things we've learned is that when officers are giving a citizen a command, if they can give more reasons for that command, if they can, you know, for instance, on scene say, I'm investigating a shooting, I need you to stand back because it's a dangerous situation, they're much more likely to get compliance than if they just yell, stand back. Mm -hmm. And so these are the types of tools and techniques that officers can be trained in to, to be more successful with their interactions with the citizens. Another piece that that comment makes me want to remark on is the whole concept of custody. And, you know, once a police officer takes someone into custody, once they arrest someone, they're responsible for that person's safety and welfare. And, you know, that's an important difference of, in terms of the relationships that, that the police have with, um, with the citizens. Once, once that arrest is made, they're responsible to care for you. And you know, that's something that needs to be uh, communicated thoroughly in the training. And the final thing is that one of the things that some of us have noticed about the training, I'll just speak for myself, is that in some of these training exercises, there's a, a very us versus them kind of warrior code mentality hmm. that gets conveyed to the officers. And that is one of the elements of culture that we need to change and we need to improve with better training. The police and the citizenry are not on opposite sides of some sort of adversarial contest. We're supposed to be on the same team. And that's a part of the training that needs to be improved. Hmm. Uh, again, Dennis, really appreciate the call. Uh, and the and the comments. Uh, let's go to John in Detroit. John, welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Senator. Um, I wanted to talk about the use of deadly force. Also, uh -huh. Uh -huh. it seems like police are given the authority to use deadly force just upon a perception of a threat and not an actual threat. So they don't need to actually see a gun or a knife. As long as they feel threatened, you know, a lot of times unarmed people get shot for reaching for their wallet or pulling their pants up in one case. In Arizona a few years ago, I think uh, Daniel Shavers was the guy's name, was in a, a hallway of a hotel at gunpoint following all the officer's commands, and he went to reach to pull up his loose basketball shorts and shot five times at close range because he moved his hand. Mm. And I think, you know, the use of deadly force is a powerful responsibility. They yes. should have to actually have an actual threat before they're allowed to use deadly force on somebody. Right. Yeah. John, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I really appreciate your calling and, and saying that. Uh, Senator Irwin, is it time to, to go further in terms of police training and change the standard for deadly force or focus maybe a little more on the idea of what what constitutes a justification for a police officer using deadly force. Yeah, we, we may need to take a look at that, but there's a couple of pieces that I know the legislature should be uh, doing a better job of that are very related to this. One is just the information we have about use of deadly force. We don't have good uh, information because every department tracks it differently. Some departments don't track it at all. We need a statewide, we really need a national 
uh, standard for tracking all of this so that we can try to get to the bottom of, uh, you know, what was a high intensity, a high stress moment mistake, and what is a pattern of, of somebody's, uh, you know, abuse of power. Uh, so that's, I think, very, very important. And Senator Chang has been introducing and pushing for better reporting requirements on use of force uh, for a long time. The other piece, I think, is making sure that the investigations of these use of force incidents are done independently. One of the things that I think uh, has really punctuated public anger around uh, you know, these police brutality incidents is the sense that there is just this impunity and that there's no accountability. And when the investigation gets done, it gets done by people who are friends with or at least um, are part of the same law enforcement team as the folks who, who committed the act. And so pulling those investigations out, putting them with an independent body that can give the public more trust and uh, more uh, sort of sense that there's accountability for officers who commit bad acts, those are a couple things that I think the legislature could do right now that, that would help in this case. Uh, again, John, thanks very much for the call. Uh, and the comments. Let's go to Mark in Northville. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. One of your callers a couple of minutes ago and mentioned that uh, people just listened to the commands of the police officers and uh, you know and obeyed these commands, then you wouldn't have to shoot them dead. Hmm. But I just want to point out that Brianna Taylor happened to be sleeping in her bed, yes. and it's very difficult to listen to police officers or what if you're hard of hearing? Or what if you're completely deaf? Mm. Or just off your block because uh, you've got problems? You know, or you're a defiant person. Doesn't mean you should be shot dead right. just because of that. I think yes. that's a little absurd. Yes. Wishful thinking. No, Mark, that's a really great point. And, uh, you know, I was trying to point out to that caller that, again, the responsibility here lies in the hands of the officers whom we trust to exercise authority in a way that doesn't result in, in people's death. Brianna Taylor is a great example of how officers sometimes don't take that responsibility as seriously as they should, and the consequences are lethal. And too many times, of course, the victims of that lethality are, are African-American men and women. Jeff Irwin, in Louisville, where Brianna Taylor was killed, in Kentucky, in, the, in that state, they have now outlawed the no-knock the no warrant that was used to get into to, to her apartment. Uh, again, what are some of the other things here in the state of Michigan that we ought to be thinking about and, and putting into to, to practice to try to restore some balance to this relationship between police and, and the citizenry? Yeah, I think restoring the balance is a is a great way to put it. And we're talking about you know these interactions, just the common everyday interactions between officers and individuals on the street. You know, we want those to be you know positive and respectful. And it, it really it, it really requires a changing of the the police culture, a changing of that culture, so that uh, you know those who are there to protect and serve see themselves as being one with us, the citizens, uh, not being apart from from us. And so, you know, I think I think that's the uh, the, the direction we need to go. And you know, there have been bills and ideas introduced around trying to uh, change the use of SWAT teams. Uh, you know, um, we've seen incidents in the city of Detroit with that where innocent people have been killed with sort of over-muscular, over-militarized police. I think that's a really important uh, thing for the legislature to take a stand on to say we're not going to do that anymore. Um, Senator Ruth Johnson uh, has introduced a bill 
um, on, um, oh, excuse me, no, Senator Lucido has introduced a bill on, on chokeholds. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of these bills that are coming in to address these specific situations. But I think that the most important thing we can do as a legislature, once again, is to try to restore that balance that you were talking about, to try to change that culture around what police are for and why they're in the community. What about changing the makeup of the police department to include people whose expertise is something other than law enforcement? What about mental health professionals? What about social workers? Uh, these calls to dismantle or defund the police really are about changing the nature of the police department, I think, and changing perhaps the makeup of that department. What's your reaction to those ideas? I love those ideas, and we've been moving uh, slowly but steadily towards those kinds of ideas here in Washington County. We passed a millage uh, recently that was actually meant to fund those those types of mental health crisis response teams within the sheriff's department. Uh, yeah, I think that this is a great idea, and it reminds me of the incident in Central Park, uh, you know, where an individual was 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 calling the police in a situation where they should never should have called the police. We we shouldn't be calling police over you know arguments about dog leashes and when somebody is in mental health crisis, uh, you know, or or if or if we all are calling that emergency number, the uh, the help that is deployed shouldn't be first and foremost about badges and guns. It should be about folks who are who are coming out trying to de-escalate the situation, trying to get people the help they need because a lot of times these situations that turn violent are situations where people are just very very desperate. Um, or, or, or in the case uh, of someone with a disability, someone who's just very misunderstood. Uh, uh, these, these are the cases that um, really didn't need to have a police response in the first place. And I think we'd have better luck if uh, either our police departments were trained more in these social work disciplines, or if we brought folks who were trained in these social work disciplines closer into the response, and maybe they were even the first response in circumstances where that would be appropriate. So, so what do you think uh, the chances are that we get that conversation going now in in Lansing oh uh, that's a that's a really tough one Stephen because we've been struggling with funding mental health care in the state of Michigan for as long as I've been involved in in government and uh, you know I think there are a couple different sides of this conversation one is the side of the conversation that we're having around police response and 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 how do we respond to emergent issues in the community uh, the other side of the conversation that I'm uh, less hopeful about because it's been such a long, difficult slog is how do we make sure that that help is there for people before they get into an extreme situation, before they get into crisis. And as a state, we do a very, very poor job of helping people who just simply need help. There are people in our uh, communities who are struggling with severe and persistent mental illness and they need our help. Mm -hmm. And there's just been such a culture in government of, uh, you know, this bootstraps mentality and this, this idea that, um, you know, welfare is bad, uh, you know, that we've just drawn back the kind of support that used to be there uh, for folks who are who are in mental health crisis. And we need to rebuild that. We need to, and, and we're going to have to pay for it. And that's the real struggle in Lansing right now is that Republicans and conservatives have controlled state government. They've controlled the state Senate since the 80s. And as a result, you see what our schools look like. You see what our mental health system looks like. Uh, you know, everything is fraying at the edges. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. State Senator Jeff Irwin, a Democrat who represents Michigan's 18th district. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks for being with us.
That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow when Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson will join to talk about efforts to make voting as safe as possible in August and November. And I'll speak with Michigan Supreme Court Chief Justice Bridget McCormick about efforts to open up courtrooms across the state for certain kinds of cases. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.